Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Every day we wake up hoping for some good news. The truth is, we're nowhere near finished dealing with the worst news. So we're facing... An Italy-like uh, crisis in our healthcare system, and there should be no, no doubt about that in people's minds. This, you know, we we might want to wish it away, but it's essentially inevitable now. And as for that talk about getting businesses back up and running soon, to you know, sort of quote, quote unquote get business back is a absolutely foolish idea, and I hope uh, people recognize that as such. On this edition of 880 in depth a conversation with child health care expert Dr. Erwin Redliner. I'm Tim Schell, the news director at WCBS 880, and joining me from a distance is reporter Peter Haskell. Hi, Peter. Hey, Tim. It's a little bit strange this way, but I guess it works. This is our form of social distancing. You are, I'm in the studio downtown at uh, Hudson Street, and you are where? At the Javits Center, you told me? I'm at the Javits Center, where Governor Cuomo has been talking about turning this place into a hospital. Peter, we've spoken to Dr. Redletter almost weekly this month. He's a child health expert, also an emergency preparedness expert, working with, among others, the city of New York. He is the director of the National Center on Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University, and he is president emeritus and co-founder of the Children's Health Fund. Peter, I asked you to speak to him today. Tell me what you wanted to find out. Well, we have spoken to him before, and things have changed so rapidly at warp speed. The illness is the social distancing. What's what's happening? What's changing? And we just wanted to find out what we've learned over the past few weeks. Well, I think one one of the things that's happened is we've confirmed, uh, in a sense, uh, our worst fears about how rapidly this... uh, virus uh, can get out of control, and I think uh, that's evident as New York City and uh, New York State, but really New York City has become the epicenter, as they, as they say, of, uh, of the highest level of concern about the speed uh, of spread of this virus and its implications for all of us, but particularly on our health care system. Why has it spread so quickly? Is it simply density, or is there more to it? Well, first of all, this virus itself um, is inherently capable of rapid spread. Every single person that gets the uh, virus, is infected with the virus, even if their symptoms are very mild, uh, 
can spread it to somewhere between two and three people. So just doing the math there uh, tells you that we're going to be doubling the number of uh, people who get infected over every, is over basically every three to four days or so. And that means that um, same thing that's happening globally, which is that um, every few days we're going to see a doubling of the number of cases in New York. Uh, one of the problems, too, though, is uh, one, one of the problems, however, is that uh, we didn't have really a baseline because we weren't doing testing for quite some time. So now we're doing testing, and I think one of the cautionary notes here is that uh, some of the larger numbers that we're going to see have to do with spreading of the virus. Some have to do with the fact, the simple fact that we're just now um, getting a handle on uh, how many uh, how many people are testing positive. So uh, either way, we're going to see some much larger numbers coming out, and uh, people just be ready for that and not think that. All of these larger growing numbers are due to uh, much more spread. Some of them may be just for the fact that we're just discovering uh, more people with the virus than we had before. You're talking about the cases doubling every three to four days. For how long might that happen? Uh, we we might be anticipating, you know, many many weeks, months, really of the virus continuing to grow exponentially. Um, You know, the modelers have been saying that uh, we can expect between 150 and 200 or so million Americans having uh, acquired the infection uh, over the next, you know, 6, 8, 12 months. And um, that means if you take that, that's between a half and two-thirds of the population. That means if New York City's population is 8.6 million or so, that uh, we should not be surprised to see 4 million New Yorkers, New York City residents who get this virus. But at the same time, in the same breath, same sentence, we want to emphasize that this is not, it's not a death sentence either. So that the more people we get with, uh, that we identify as being positive, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of those people who are going to just be fine. They're going to have mild or moderate symptoms. They'll treat themselves at home. Um, and they'll recover. And another relatively small percentage of people who get infections will need to go to the hospital, and of those, even a smaller percentage will get admitted to an ICU, and some number will uh, not survive. But the chances of not surviving uh, a pandemic flu infection, especially if you're not much older and uh, uh, have some pre-existing condition, the chance of survival are way higher than the chance of not making it. So one way, we need to be aware of those numbers so we're not just petrified that we're going to all get sick and die from coronavirus. I want to ask you about that. From the beginning, we've heard that people who are older and have underlying conditions are the most vulnerable. It sounds like that's still true. Tell us about the rest of the population. What are we seeing there? Are we seeing numbers of younger, relatively healthy people getting sick. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, well, what we're going to see is that um, many more young people will get sick. They'll have milder symptoms. They probably won't be themselves vulnerable to, uh, you know, to not surviving. Although those, if there are younger people, and there are with uh, serious lung problems and asthma and 
cystic fibrosis and young people who are uh, who have their immuno immunological system compromised because they're on some kind of steroid product or being treated for cancer, those people, no matter what age, are going to be more at risk as well of not surviving. Social distancing, we've heard that term over and over again. So a couple of things. First of all, is it working, and are the current rules good enough? Well, it's hard to say. Um, it's going to take more time to do the analysis to determine if social distancing works. But it is only one of a very limited number of strategies we have to actually control the spread of disease. So I'm assuming, as most of us are, that it is working. I mean, it just makes sense anyway that uh, to the extent that we can keep people indoors, not in contact with each other. And, you know, remember, I remember the good old days when we used to say you can gather in groups of up to 500. Well, you know, let's revise that down to two. Like, uh, you know, I've tried very hard not to uh, gather in groups of more than two people unless it's your nuclear family unit and you want to obviously be spending time with them. But um, this is uh, a dangerous situation, and we have to assume that social distancing is going to make a difference in you know, whether we are able to flatten the curve or not. Understanding the warnings we had heard from China, South Korea, Italy, did New York City and other governments react too slowly to putting in some of these restrictions? Yeah. Well, the sooner the better, but we don't know when it's exactly uh, too late. And I know that's a kind of a strange way to answer your question, which is a really great question. Um, I think all of us in the field would have liked to have seen, um, you know, the more strict regulations that we've now put in instituted many, many weeks before this, and we could have made a difference. We still could make a difference in the speed of spread and the acute spikes in the number of patients being admitted every day, but, you know... Unfortunately, the time has passed for a lot of that, so we're hoping that even at this point, keeping people apart is uh, better than not. What would you advise the government to recommend or mandate, and what would you yeah. suggest to New Yorkers? So, I'm in favor of maximizing those public health strategies and actually have a uh, shelter-in-place rule for the city. And uh, and then there's, another, there's a role for other I think government and just have just individual families or people. Um, it's now's the time for uh, stores that are going to be open, which includes drug stores and uh, drug and grocery stores. Those stores and the managers and owners of those should take and do their part of the response to this, which means that don't allow your stores to get overcrowded. Um, you know, actually ask people to stand separated by at least six feet while they're waiting to come into the store and so on. Uh, my wife stopped at a drugstore last night and uh, was told she had to wait before going in until someone else came out. And that's something that has not been ordered by the government, but we're hoping represents, you know, good citizenship of a lot of, um, you know, store owners and so on that uh, really do care about where this is going and want to do their part to keep the spread down. 
Peter, I can tell you that uh, a couple of days ago I was driving home from work. I, I tell you, I was a little scared on Friday of last week seeing how many people were out along the bike path and the walking path on the west side. It's gotten a lot better uh, over the course of the past couple of days, and I think it's probably that message is getting through, no? It is interesting. I think people need to adjust. If you think about two weeks ago saying no more than five people. Well, initially they said 500 people. Then they said 100. And then the restaurants and bars closed. No more than 50. And then it was down to 10. And now they're basically saying, don't see anybody that you're not living with. And I think it's just people need to wrap their minds around that if two weeks ago they said you can't be with anybody outside the people you live with, people would have thought, what are you talking about? In a gradual way, people are just trying to adjust and catch up to the guidance, I think, to a certain extent. I'm going to ask you a question I've asked you before because things are changing. Kids going outside, is it okay to go to the playground? Is it okay to play catch? Is it okay to jog in the park? What do you think? I, I think as long as they can maintain a separation policy, that's, that's going to be okay. They're outside walking, and they're not walking in a group of six or ten other people. That's, that's I think, the thing that we have to pay attention to. In terms of supplies, we hear from the mayor and the governor almost every day about uh, personal protective equipment and ventilators. How serious is the situation right now? The shortage in personal protective equipment like masks and gowns is way more severe than I thought. And uh, mechanical ventilators, ICU rooms, are also going to be depleted very, very shortly. So we're facing an Italy-like crisis in our healthcare system, and there should be no no doubt about that in people's minds. You know, we we might want to wish it away, but it's essentially inevitable now that that's where we're going. What happens when we get there? Well, when we do get there, we're going to have to uh, be doing a lot of improv- improvising. We're going to have to take over, you know, motels, I guess, or abandoned hospitals. But we still have to worry about staffing those uh, in New York City. Things like opening up the Javits Center's backup bed supply. All these things are in the toolbox and. Uh, are on the table right now, so any any moment we may be evolving to that kind of situation. Hospitals all over New York City are building like triage tents outside the emergency room entrances where they can screen people that do not have to then go into the hospital. I'm going to ask you a cynical question. We hear the mayor and the governor pleading with the federal government we need these supplies, we need these supplies. How much of this, if at all, is hyperbole to get the federal government's attention to do something? The U.S. is going to need 300... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The U.S. is going to need 3 billion face masks over the next year, just on the face mask side. Not to mention um, you know, the shortages of ICU beds and mechanical ventilators. So there's no amount of hyperbole that could uh, sort of overstate the need for three billion masks. You know, we'll have a few hundred million that we can identify, but 
this is where the president should be enacting the defense uh, preparedness act and uh, trying to make sure that uh, we have engaged every single private sector community to you know put down whatever those they're, they're making and, and try to make sure that uh, we are protecting the flow and the supply of uh, personal protective equipment you're talking about social distancing President Trump and some members of his administration are talking about getting the wheels of business spinning again. Yeah. What, what do you what do you think of that, and what do you see as the dangers? I think anybody, elected official or otherwise, that doesn't understand that the priority is public safety and public health, um, you know, we can fix a lot of those business issues with money. That's way it is and uh and as opposed to relaxing necessary public health measures to you know sort of quote unquote get business back is a absolutely foolish idea and i hope uh, people recognize that as such what is the danger of things start to open and people do less distancing that will that we will get a resurgence and maybe an acceleration of the spread, and that will be extremely problematic. And um, I don't think we, should, we could take a chance on that. You know, this is so complicated now. Is this a economic issue? Is it a political issue? Uh, probably all, all of the above. But it is, is primarily a public health issue. And if we don't do what we have to do to protect people's lives, um, and also then deal with the economy, I'm not saying don't deal with it. But uh, we're going to need to make those uh, strategies to deal with the economic downturn and return of consumerism and all that. We're going to have to do things and to make sure that people get the get some sort of economic support. That's all critical. But we've got to stop the spread of this disease using whatever techniques we can, and that has to be the first priority. I want to ask you about an issue that I know is near and dear to your heart, children, you're a pediatrician, you've got millions of children being isolated. They're not seeing their friends, they're not having play dates, they're not going to school. What yeah. is the impact going to be on this on this generation of kids, and what can parents do about it now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, there'll definitely be an impact. I mean, life has turned upside down for children. It used to routines there. They get up in the morning, they eat breakfast, they go to school, they come back, they do whatever activities they do after school. They may do a little, you know, uh, games, watch a little TV, they go to sleep, they wake up. That's the routine for children, school-age children. That is completely turned upside down. They're, they're with their parents all day long. And parents have to, there's a lot that parents have to do now, which includes, uh, you know, helping make sure the kids getting they're continuing their education. Uh, at home, uh, either digitally, you know, remotely, or um, by getting lessons at home. But but mostly, I think we're going to have to have a lot of remote access for children. I think that is happening. Parents should do everything they can to maintain some normal routine. And uh, <clears throat> parents should remember that they are the they are really the buffers for their kids, and they should. Uh, you know, try to limit the amount of exposure that children have to the grim news on television, especially younger children. They should be there for the children. The establishment of routines um, is really important. That it gives the kids security. 
and even though parents are very anxious themselves, understandably, they have to fake it, and they have to do as much as they can to, uh, you know, avoid having their children uh, feel that their parents are falling apart. It's going to be very hard because a lot of us are feeling that way, but that's, you know, it's like an important reality for parents that they just have to kind of understand their role as protecting their kids and uh, from the emotional stress of all this and staying close, answering questions simply, you know, reducing exposure to, to news on this and, um, you know, trying to maintain normal family relationships in a very tough time. And this, and by the way, if we do that right uh, for families and children, um, then we will get through this just fine. You know, it's, uh, and we may need, and we may end up being a lot more adaptive in a good way and resilient and all that could be very good and I think country's going to be and the city is going to be very different after this whenever it does end and it will end um, and uh, just have to hang in there and be uh, tough for ourselves but, but really also for our children Are there signs parents should look for to see if their child is overstressed? Yeah so any kind of dramatic changes in personality or behavior. So children who are normally, say, assertive and active, who become docile, they don't, they're not talking much, they're not communicative. Children who are having sleep, new sleep problems. Uh, some children get very aggressive when they get, or angry. And all those, any kind of unusual, uh, sim, you know, uh, symptom or sign like that should be paid attention to. In which case, parents should be open to, you know, nice intimate conversations that are relevant and appropriate for a child's age and developmental stage. Um, and sometimes, by the way, the parent—it's not enough just for the parent to do those things. And sometimes, if uh, it seems serious to the parents, they need to reach out to their primary care provider, like their pediatrician, for help. And occasionally, and rarely, uh, the family and the child may need some more professional uh, psychological and emotional assistance, but that's pretty rare. Erwin, I, I know you've got a lot on your plate. I thank you again for your time and patience. I appreciate it. Well, Peter, you're the best, and I'm happy to work with you anytime. So, so Peter, thanks. Good conversation with Dr. Red Leonard. He is really a smart guy, and I know, you know, we remember him from the weeks and months after 9-11 in terms of helping uh, coach us on the health of the young people who were uh, traumatized by 9-11. Uh, those people are now young adults. So we're actually, um, you know, we are resting on the shoulders of people who went through this, you know, 20 years ago uh, and, and are now seeing their, their country in another crisis and probably helping us get through this based on their experiences here in New York, no? Two things come to mind. One is, you know, I worry about this generation of kids that are shuttered inside basically against their will. Fortunately, the weather's nice. They can get out a little bit. But their lives have been turned upside down. The flip side is this is going to be a generation of kids that is resilient. They have to be. And like those in crises before them, including 9-11, they're going to have to figure it out. And it's just, it's unfortunate for them, and we can only hope that at the end of the day, it gives them that kind of inner strength and that adaptability that they can feel that they can overcome anything. 
Yeah, no, I would agree with you. We are spending time with our family at night when I get home. We are, we're having dinner together for the first time in a long time every night, which is great. I know your family is uh, staying together. We were joking about our own work-wise social distancing, but frankly, none of the reporters who are out in the field are coming into the uh, to the station. Many of our news anchors are working remotely. Many of our writers are working remotely. We are practicing social distancing in our works workplace here. Uh, you know, it's almost like we've got an invisible circle around us, six feet plus, and I think that's a great idea because we're we're all trying to stay healthy. So. We're going to continue that. You talk about a generation of kids that grew up in in an interesting time. We have another podcast that we're going to drop uh, probably tomorrow, tomorrow being Thursday. And Thursday would have been opening day of the baseball season. So I decided to ring up a friend of ours, friend of the New York metropolitan area, Howie Rose, who is the radio voice of the uh, New York Mets. Howie is a good friend. Uh, I was actually down with him at spring training earlier this month. And I got him on the phone. He's still in Florida. We talk about it. But he talks about growing up in a generation where, you know, young people were worried about nuclear war and they'd uh, have drills in their classroom getting under the desk. And, uh, and, he, and he thinks that, well, we turned out all right. So it's an interesting conversation about baseball, psyche. And I thought his uh, comments about how uh, if baseball could ever return this year might actually be even a bigger emotional lift to America uh, than what happened after 9-11 when baseball came, uh, came back. So I would encourage you to listen to that. Uh, it will be the probably another 24 hours from now before that podcast comes out. If you're interested in 880 In-Depth podcast, please subscribe. Obviously, you can search for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your podcasts. So, Peter, thanks. Uh, keep up the great work. Thank you for your sacrifice, uh, staying away from your family uh, at times of the day. And, and, and please be safe out there. I saw you actually, Peter, I will say, you look like you were in detention. I saw you at the Governor Cuomo news conference, and you were in the second <laughs> row at a distance. It looked like a classroom detention. You know, it's the only funny thing I could say today. And just to explain that, typically you go to a news conference and the chairs roll next to each other. This time they rate them almost as a checkerboard, so everybody's six feet away. But there was no one directly in front of you. The chest to the right, chest to the left, and separated by a pretty good distance. So it, it was an unusual feeling to be involved in something like that. Stay healthy, Peter. Thank you very much. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.